we come here this morning to honour you, Jesus. Lord God, there is no one, nothing that compares to you, God. Lord Jesus, your presence, Lord God, is so beautiful. I love the line of that song. Without your presence, I'm not living. You know what? Living is living in God's presence. He's carrying His presence with Him. That is living. That is really living. Without you, God, we are not living. We don't know what it is to live life to the full if we're not carrying you with us. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning to exalt your name, to lift you high, Lord God, above everything in our world, to to claim you as number one, as the most important thing in our life. Lord God, to put you in your rightful place where you belong, Lord God, at the head of our lives. Lord Jesus, we exalt your name this morning and say that there will be no other name higher on our lips, Lord God. There will be nothing that comes before you, Lord. We declare it this morning. We speak it into being that you are number one in our lives and we give nothing else, nothing else as high a priority as you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. What an awesome God we serve, hey? What an awesome God we serve. Oh, so good. So good. God's presence is good, isn't it? Yeah, good. Well, you guys can take your seats. Thank you so much, band, for week after week just entering us into such beautiful worship and making it just so easy for us to be able to just flow with God and whatever He's doing. Isn't it awesome? We have a great team. We have a great God. Yes. Awesome. How is everyone today? Good. Max is good. I'm glad. Good. Good. Well, this morning, there were some people who didn't say good. And you know what? We all know that there are some hard times in life as well, isn't there? It's not all lovely roses and, yep, all that kind of jazz. So this morning I'm talking about, and I've titled my message, I'm struggling, what now? We all go through struggles in our lives, and I'm hopefully going to help you guys with some tips on what we can do when we do struggle. And you might not be in a struggle at the moment, but no doubt there will be one in your future. That's, I'm not, you know, speaking that over your life, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We all go through struggles. Um, Last year, uh, second half of last year, we went through a super, super busy time in our lives. And um, you know what? Every day was filled with, with work and every night was filled with budgeting and planning for the next day's work or the next week's work. And it was a really, really busy time for us. Um, we were only building our house. Um, Garen was doing a lot of the labouring himself there on site, as well as trying to do his usual fencing work to bring in the money to be able to, to live off, um, as well as trying to push um, the council, I guess, and, and push for the development of the church build, and so that there was always something moving happening there. I was busy running the house, as a good wife does, 
and uh, working as well and, and organising things and um, we were also selling our house and so, you know, the all, all the sorting and the organising and the tidying, the constant tidying that your house has to live in when you're selling a house and, uh, and moving, packing for moving as well. At nights, I would be usually doing a little bit of that. Um, just to throw into the mix, you know, the girls are changing schools next year. So there's a lot of organisation that needs to happen in that. And uh, of course, it was Christmas. Who knows that Christmas brings enough stress on its own that we didn't need anything else. But anyway, we got through it. We got through it. But you know what? It was a struggle. It was a struggle. And we finished last year, and I said to Garen, there's got to be something that we need to learn from this. There's got to be something that we can learn from this so we don't feel quite as depleted as what we did at the end of last year. We're all going to go through hard times. We're all going to go through struggles. But there's got to be something that we can do to not quite feel that depleted and, and flat. And we need, we need some things in place. So I thought, okay, let's have a look at someone else who had plenty of struggles in his life. It's not Job. I know you're all thinking it. It's Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, Nehemiah was um, from Jerusalem, from Judea. And he was part of the captives that were in exile in Babylon um, because of some things that they didn't quite do right, some wrong kind of living. So Nehemiah is found in this foreign land. He actually becomes cupbearer to the king of this foreign land of, of Susa. And, um, and so anyway, but he is living in this place where he doesn't belong. And he knows that his hometown, that Jerusalem, is not in a very good state. He actually has a little bit of a visit from some, some old friends who are living in Jerusalem. And, um, and they tell him, they say, you know what, our hometown, it's just, it's in ruins still. And no one's fixed it. It's been so long. And, and it's just still desolate land. And it's, you know, that broke Nehemiah's heart. He was devastated. He went into mourning, you know, the whole um, ashes on your head thing and all that jazz. Glad we don't have to do that today. But he went into mourning, he went into fasting, and he went into praying. When you're devastated, what an awesome place to go to. Not the ashes on your head part, but the praying part. He cried out to God for help. He's like, God, this isn't right. This is the place that that you set your people. This is the place that you wanted to reside, and it's in ruins. What's going on here? God, this isn't right. And so anyway, he cried out to God, and God ends up having the king not only permit, but provide some of the materials for a rebuild of Jerusalem, of Jerusalem's walls and the temple in Jerusalem as well. I want to just read to you guys a little bit of, the, of Nehemiah's story. I'm going to start in chapter 2, verse 10. So Nehemiah has just gotten permission right to go back to his hometown and to rebuild these walls. How awesome is that? Amazing times. Straight away, this is what happens. Verse 10 says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very upset angry that anyone would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. How dare they? How dare they look after the interests of these people? 
How dare they? It wasn't a very good time. But immediately he came against opposition. Immediately there were these people who didn't like what he was going to do. He hadn't even started yet. He hadn't even gone to Jerusalem yet to start the build. He was still over where he was just with this brilliant idea. And he already is coming up against all of this opposition. So anyway, Nehemiah, he finally arrives in Jerusalem. He checks it all out and then he gives a report to the people there. I'm going to pick it up from Nehemiah 2 verse 17. Have we got it up there? Soon we will. Awesome. All right. Then I gave them my report. Face it. We're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live in this disgrace any longer. I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. And they said, we're with you. Let's get started. They rolled up their sleeves, ready for the good work. Here we go. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they laughed at us, mocking. Ha! What do you think you're doing? Do you think you can cross the king? I shot back. The God of heaven will make sure we succeed. We're his servants and we're going to work rebuilding. You can keep your nose out of it. You get no say in this. Jerusalem's none of your business. So straight away there, he is coming back and he's saying, no, my God has appointed this work, so nothing's going to stop it. It's none of your business. It's nothing to do with you because my God is the one who wants this to happen. When God wants something to happen, when you are in the will of God, when you are doing the work of God, then nothing can stand against it. You might still come against threats. You might still come against mocking, people ridiculing you. But nothing's going to stand against that work, that work of God. Anyway, chapter 3 talks all about his designating parts of the rebuild. This family, you're doing that part of the wall. This family, you guys can do that part of the wall. We're all in this together here. We're all doing this teamwork. And so he was designating parts. We won't read through that. We're going to pick up again at chapter 4. So Nehemiah chapter 4, start at verse 1. It says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he exploded in anger, vilifying the Jews. In the company of his Samaritan croonies and military, he let loose. What are these miserable Jews doing? Do they think they can get anything back to normal overnight? Make building stones out of make-believe? At his side, Tobiah the Ammonite jumped in and said, That's right. What do they think they're building? Why, if a fox climbed that wall, it would fall to pieces under his weight. Trying to intimidate them, aren't they? Intimidate. All right, I'm going to jump down to verse 6. We kept at it, repairing and rebuilding the wall. The whole wall was soon joined together and halfway to its extended height because the people had a heart for the work. When Sanballat, Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the walls of Jerusalem were going so well that the breaks in a wall were being fixed, they were absolutely furious. These guys have anger issues, don't they? They put their heads together and decided to fight against Jerusalem and create as much trouble as they could. We counted 
with prayer to our God and set around the clock guard against them. We counted with prayer to our God. Again, they're crying out to God and set around the clock guard against them. But soon the word was going around in Judah. The builders are pooped. The rubbish piles up. We're in over our heads. We can't build this wall. Here comes the exhaustion setting in. And at this time, our enemies were saying, they won't know what hit them. Before they know it, we'll be at their throats, killing them right and left. That will put a stop to the work. The Jews who were their neighbours kept reporting, they have us surrounded. They're going to attack. If we heard it once, we heard it 10 times. How much, how much were they getting? Guys, what are we doing here? They're going to kill us any minute now. We're freaking out constantly over and over. So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances and bows. After looking things over, I stood up and spoke to the nobles, officials and everyone else. Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Our enemies learned that we knew all about their plan and that God had frustrated it. And we went back to the wall and went to work. And from then on, half of my young men worked while the other half stood guard with lances, shields, bows, and mail armor. Military officers served as backup for everyone in Judah who was at work rebuilding the wall. The common laborers held a tool in one hand and a spear in the other. Each of their builders had a sword strapped to his side as he worked. I kept the trumpeter at my side to sound the alert. And then I spoke to the nobles and officials and everyone else. There's a lot of work going on and we're spread out all along the wall, separated from each other. When you hear the trumpet call, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so we kept working from the first light until the stars came out, half of us holding lances. I also instructed the people, each person and his helper is to stay inside Jerusalem, guards by night, workmen by day. We all slept in our clothes. I, my brothers, my workmen and the guards backing me up. And each one kept his spear in his hand, even when getting water. I just want to pray right now over the scriptures. Lord God, Jesus, will you just anoint these words of mine that I'm, that I'm about to bring, Lord God. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us to be able to understand what you have for us in the midst of our struggles. Some, some tools, Lord God, that you have for us, God. But help us to understand your greatness, your awesomeness, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What did Nehemiah do when he came up against all these external struggles, this opposition, these threats, these mocks? What did he do? Well, verse 9 and verse 14 pointed out. Verse 9 says, We counted with prayer to our God and set around the clock guard against them. Verse 14, Don't be afraid of them. Put your minds on the master, great and awesome, and then fight for your brothers. What did he do? Point number one, he counted with prayer. He counted with prayer and dependence on God and was prepared to fight. He counted with that dependence on God and was prepared to fight, all while 
continuing his work, all while continuing what God had for him to do. You know what? Philippians, Paul got it as well. Philippians verse, chapter 4, verse 4 says, uh, verse 6 says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. If only they had Philippians to read from back then as well. They would have had extra backup. But Nehemiah, he had it right. Dependence on God is absolutely essential in the time of your struggles. Because you know what? You don't always have the goods. You don't always have what it takes to keep going in the work that God has got for you. You don't always have the strength to get through your struggles. But God does. God does. And that's why we need that dependence on God. You know what? If they didn't have dependence on God, no doubt they would have been overcome by fear. They would have been too fearful. We can't do this. Look at all the people. No, look at all the, the threats against us. They've got, they've got weapons. What do we got? We're not military. I'm a cup bearer. I can't do What am I going to do with my cup? Paul knew it. Nehemiah knew it. They needed their dependence on God. What would have happened if they hadn't been ready to fight? They probably would have gotten killed. They probably would have definitely been attacked because these guys were serious. We read a few times how furious, how angry they were. They were serious about stopping this work that God had called Nehemiah and the people to do, the Jews to do. So they would have been attacked had they not been ready to fight. You need to be ready to fight. Things, opposition will come and we need to be ready to fight. What would have happened if they had stopped their work from these things? The walls would never have been complete. God's work that he wanted to get done would have probably been done through someone else at a later time. But at this time, the work wouldn't have been complete. They would have finished at half-height halls, oh, half-height walls. What good's that? What good's a half-height wall? What struggles are you going through right now that you need to follow this advice? You need dependence on God. You need your heart to be full. Pastor Garen preached a couple of weeks ago about your heart being the wellspring of life. You need to have a full heart to be able to continue your work. You need to be depending on God. You need to be coming to God constantly for him to fill your heart so that you can continue in the work, finish the work that God has got. Like I said, you might not have the strength, but God does. God does. You know what? God's people would have remained in a state of defeat if they had have not depended on God and been ready to fight. They would have remained in this captivity mindset. They've, they've come from captivity and they would have remained in that, that state of defeat in their minds had they not lived this out, had they not walked this out. You know what? A lot of us sometimes can live in that state of defeat, can live in that state of defeat. 
If we're not being refreshed by God, it's too hard to keep going. What is it you need to fight for? There might be something that you need to fight for or fight against. Have your weapon ready. I won't go into all the weapons that we have, but read your word. It's got awesome things in it. You know, another type of struggle that Nehemiah came up against. I'm going to pick it up now from Nehemiah 5. Nehemiah 5, and it comes, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. The great pro- a great protest was mounted by the people, including the wives, against their fellow Jews. What is it? Normally just the men who, who win? Is that why they needed to mention the wives? Some said, we have big families and we need food just to survive. Others said, we're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and homes to get enough grain to keep from starving. And others said, we're having to borrow money to pay the royal tax on our fields and vineyards. Look, we're the same flesh and blood as our brothers here. Our children are just as good as theirs. Yet here we are having to sell our children off as slaves. Some of our daughters have already been sold and we can't do anything about it because our fields and vineyards are owned by somebody else. I got really angry when I heard their protest and complaints. After thinking it over, this is a righteous kind of anger now, I called the nobles and officials on the carpet and said, each one of you is gouging his brother. Then I called a big meeting to deal with them. I told them we did everything we could to buy back our Jewish brothers who had to sell themselves as slaves to foreigners. And now you're selling these same brothers back into debt slavery? Does that mean that we have to buy them back again? They said nothing. What could they say? What you're doing is wrong. There's no fear of God left in you. Don't you care what the nations around here, our enemies, think of you? I, my brothers, and the people working for me have also loaned them money, but this gouging them with interest has to stop. Give them back their foreclosed fields, vineyards, olives, groves, and homes right now, and forgive your claims on their money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They said, we'll give it all back. We won't make any more demands on them. We'll do everything you say. Goes on a little bit, talks about how... Um, these, these people. So what, what had happened? When a king came and took over a place, they would take all the, all the good people with them. Anyone who they thought, yeah, he could be useful to me. He, he's got a pretty good trade or, yeah, they look like pretty good workers. The only people that were left were the people that the king thought, who cares? They were the nobodies. They were the people who weren't trained in anything. They were usually like field hands or think, think, people like that. So these are the Jews who were left behind, right? Nehemiah and his buddies, the the educated ones, I guess you could say, have come back to help the Jews who were living in this, you know, desolate, nothing's happening, walls fallen down kind of land. They've come back to help them. And these Jews here are getting on their high horse and going, hey, this is not your land anymore. We're going to tax you for staying on our land. They were gouging their own brothers. These guys, they were, they were flesh and blood. They were both from the same descendants. They were all Jews here. But these Jews over here were getting on their high horse and ripping them off. Ripping them off so much that they were having to sell their children as slaves. Nehemiah was furious, as you can imagine. 
as you can imagine. But what I want to draw out of this is sometimes we need correction brought, don't we? Nehemiah came and he brought correction to these people and said, what are you doing? We're all brothers. We're all in this together. What are you doing? So my point number two is let God bring correction. Sometimes it might come in different forms. It might come from different people, but we need correction sometimes. We, they might know something that we can't see from our insulated little bubble that we sometimes live in. They were ripping off their own brothers. They were, the fighting then went from external to internal. As if they didn't have enough worries externally, they're now fighting internally as well. What are you ripping yourself off from? Are you ripping yourself off in some way? You know what? Our struggles can be internal as just as much as they can be external. Are you ripping yourself off in, in a way of health? Are you ripping yourself off in your area of health, which is then causing you to not be able to do the work that God has set for you? Are you ripping yourself off by having negative thinking? Are you ripping yourself off? Because having negative thinking can affect what you're trying to do, the work you're trying to do in God. It can affect other areas of your life. I'm sure you guys would know that. You know, Nehemiah, I won't read it for for time's sake, but Nehemiah, the king had made him governor when he came over to, to Judah. And he, the governor was entitled, love that word, entitled to tax the people for his food and provisions and things like that. Nehemiah was entitled to that. He had all the rights in the world. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He says, all the way down in verse 16, out of fear of God, I did not do that. I had work to do. I worked on this wall. All my men were on the job to do the work. We didn't have time to line our own pockets. You know what? Nehemiah was more than entitled to this. We live in a world that is so into entitlements. And you know what? You might be entitled to whinge about that. You might be entitled to have a negative attitude towards that because of all the things that have happened in my past and people have done this to me and you might be entitled to do that. But what, where is that going to get you? Even if you are entitled, who or what is paying the price by you claiming that entitlement? Who is paying the price? At whose expense? Nehemiah would have taken this at the expense of his own brothers. At whose expense do you get to claim your entitlement? You know, you have work to do. Work on your wall. Nehemiah said, we don't need to line our pockets. We're we're too busy working on the wall to worry about any of that kind of stuff. Work on your wall. Listen to God's correction whoever that might come from, and get back to the work that you were called to do. I don't have time to go into more of this, but I would so love to. The reasons why they had got into slavery in the first time was not living God's ways, not keeping the Sabbath, and all of these different things. And Nehemiah comes back to find these guys not living God's ways, not keeping the Sabbaths, repeating all of these past mistakes You know what? There's so many past mistakes that we are supposed to learn from, not relive. 
They are in the past for us to glance back to. Yep, good, never want to go back there. And then look forward. Good, that means I need to not keep going on that path, but maybe turn to this path, on the dependence on God path. God has in store for us an awesome, awesome future. He wants to help us on our plan to do his work, but we need to be dependent on him. We need to accept that correction, not make the same mistakes over and over again. We struggle for a reason. You know, when me and Garen come up to another super busy, hectic time, full-on time, this year, like, say, um, building a church or something like that. <laughs> We're going to remember our struggles. We're going to remember our struggles and learn from them and not repeat our past mistakes, except the correction if we need it, by someone going, hey, you're falling into it again. But most of all, we're going to remember that in order to keep it working, in order to keep building our wall, I love it because literally we are going to be building walls, even though we're a church without walls, but we're going to be building some, some walls this year. We need to depend on God and be ready to fight. We need that. I just want to finish with this. This is something that I read and it's from... Um, Focus on the Family, an organization called Focus on the Family. And I read this and I just thought, this is, this is great. It says, genuine happiness and contentment don't come from achieving perfect balance. Balance, it says. They come from knowing how to make your expectations fit your circumstances and focusing on the bigger picture. Nehemiah had a big picture. He had a big wall to build. It wasn't just like a house wall. It was a big wall. Can you just chuck that, that um, picture up for me, Dan? This wall took four years to complete the first time it was built. It was 4,018 metres long, 12 metres high, 2.5 metres thick, had 34 watchtowers, seven main gates and two minor gates. They completed it in 52 days the next time. Isn't that amazing? He was focused on that bigger picture. Jesus doesn't necessarily promise us perfect balance, but he does, does offer us peace. And his peace is the peace of knowing that he has our situation at hand. John 16, says, I've told you this so that trusting in me, you will be unshakable and assured Deeply at peace, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart, I've conquered the world. Come what may, his love for us will never change. Our God is not one of confusion and disorder and struggles all the time. Our God is the God of peace. I'm going to finish with Habakkuk 3 says, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Saviour God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength from God. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain.
Let's pray. God, we thank you that in the midst of some horrible, horrible things that could be going on, some desperate times, we can feel like we are king of the mountain with you, God. Lord Jesus, I pray for every heart that's open to you this morning, God. I pray for your peace, for the dependence on you to increase, and for your peace to fill up that wellspring of life, to fill up our hearts, Lord, that we would know what we need to do. We would know that you have everything that we need when we go through struggles. What now? Dependence on God. Dependence on you. Thank you, Lord. Bring peace to every heart this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise you, God. What an awesome way to start the year, hey? Dependence on God. It's good. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Garen. Amen. She does all right, doesn't she? Does all right. That really hit me. The uh, half-height walls. I've been carrying some half-height walls in my life. Unfinished business. Things that I uh, started knowing it was God was calling me to, but just, I don't know, got too hard. And uh, I was... I was just wonder if there's a lot of half-height, half-finished walls out there. I hope that's, we all hear what the uh, message was this morning, our dependence on God, hearing correction from Him will help us to complete the work that He's called us to do in 52 days, not four years. Amen. Well, we're going to finish the service in about two minutes. We have a special treat for you this morning. Kids, you want to be in here. If there's kids outside, they'll probably want to be in here for this. Um, we have uh, a little item for us this morning just to leave on. And uh, it's uh, my daughter Ella and her cousin Olivia are going to do a little dance for us, one that they have choreographed themselves. And I'm um, just letting them know so they can get ready. I believe they're back there already. And uh, this song that they're going to dance to is all about uh, when life knocks you down, you get back up again. Every time you get knocked down again, you get back up again. Sound good? And so um, let's, let's enjoy this dance. Kev, I might need you to open those curtains for us. And Dan will put that screen up. And, and then uh, I'm just going to, after the dance, you're invited to head outside. And we've got tea and coffee and snacks and stuff out there. It looks like a beautiful day in paradise. Why don't we put our hands together for Ella and Olivia? Yeah.